Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, good morning or good afternoon now as of five minutes ago, and welcome today to Canton Church. I'm so glad you're here this morning or today. I'm so thankful that of all the things you could have been doing on this beautiful summer Sunday that you chose to be here with us at Canton Church. My name is Trevor Hyman. I'm the administrative pastor here at Canton Church, and I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to speak to you today. Pastor Jeremy, our lead pastor, he and his family are out today. They're having some summer, Sunday, vacation type time, and so I'm thankful that they get to rest today. They get to just spend some time as a family today, but I'm thankful that he entrusts this stage, this platform with me, and that I have the chance today to share what God's placed on my heart, to share the gospel today with you. And so we're going to jump in to our Romans series again today. We've been in Romans all summer long. Um, Romans is 16 chapters long, and so we're spending eight weeks throughout the course of the summer looking at the book of Romans. And so each week we're doing two chapters, eight, eight weeks, 16 chapters in Romans. So each week we're doing two chapters. And so after you leave today, we're officially halfway through the series. It's crazy that this is week four of an eight-week series through the summer. And before we know it, summer is going to be over, and school will be back in session, and craziness continues. But summer here at Canton Church, it's just a crazy time. You know, the, summer, the school schedule is only eight weeks long, and so we pack in about as much as physically possible into the course of the summer through, at the church. And so the first five weeks of summer, we have a camp every single week. So the first week of summer, we had sports camp. Then we had high school camp. Then we had middle school camp. Now we have grade school camp this coming week. And then we have mini camp. And then the five weeks of camp ends, and it's like, oh, now we're done with the craziness of summer. No, the very next Sunday, that Sunday, we send the team to Guatemala for a week. And so six weeks of the year or six weeks of summer are going to come and go like that. And we're going to immediately have like two weeks left before school starts. And so it's a ton of fun, though. I love everything that we get to be a part of. You know, sports camp a couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt and his team did an unbelievable job of preparing for that. And they had tons of different sports that kids could play. We had over 50 kids that came and participated in sports camp. And they played games and learned different sports. And one of the best parts at a county park here in Cherokee County we had a group of kids sitting there, and several of those kids lifted their head at hand saying, I want a relationship with Jesus. And that's the best part. Like, that's what it's about. And so it's so awesome that we're able to do things like that. Um, summer camp, you know, the four weeks of high school, middle school, grade school, and mini camp, we partner with the Church of God and the North Georgia Church of God. They run an unbelievable camp. And so students are able to go to that. A couple weeks ago, there were over 500 students on campus. For high school camp last week, there were over 600 people on campus for middle school week. And so it's just an unbelievable time of students going and just learning about Jesus. This coming week, we got, I think, 17 grade schoolers going to camp from our church. And they're going to just have a ton of fun and have a blast and stay in the room and make memories and be dirty and be stinky and probably not shower as much as they should shower. But it's just going to be a ton of fun. They're going to love every second of camp. But today I've entitled our sermon, The Struggle is Real, and I want to look at Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 to with you to really look at like a struggle that each and every one of us deal with, and that is the struggle 
with sin. Before we get into that, you know, the last couple of weeks we've had summer camps, and so camps just kind of rule our summer at the church. And so I spent a couple of days each of the last several weeks just driving up to camp to spend some time with the students, spend some time with the leaders and all of that type of stuff, just be around the camp. And one of the things that never fails to amaze me is like, if there's a middle schooler in the room, like, just know I love you. Like, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but I love you. You're my favorite group. Middle school camp's my favorite camp. And so, but middle schoolers never cease to amaze me on how small things can become really big deals really, really fast. It's hilarious to me. Like, it starts like the moment you get to camp. You get out of the vehicle. You go. You find which room assignment yours. And you've got it all mapped out in your head of, like, I've got the top bunk, and my best friend's got the bottom bunk, and the guy right across from me is this, and the guy in the top bunk is that. Like, you got it all mapped out until you get in the room, and someone's already taken the bunk. And the week is ruined, right? Like, the struggle's so real. Like, the week, the week's terrible because I didn't get the bed I wanted to get, and woe is me. And it's just difficult to be a middle schooler, right? It continues. So when middle school, especially the boys, I'm not sure what the girls do. I hope and pray that they're better. But what takes place at middle school camp with the guys is you get there, you go in, you find which bedrooms, you unzip your suitcase, and you flip it over, and somehow you've been in the room for about 90 seconds, and everything is on the floor everywhere. It's a miracle how it happens. I'm not sure what takes place. But so they go and they do that, they dump the bags and they go, they play, they run, they have dinner, they have service, they have late night and you get back and you have to go to bed and so they go to get ready for bed and without fail every single year that I've ever done a camp, middle school week, someone, the struggle is real because they come up to me and they say, hey, I don't have a pillow or I don't have a blanket or I forgot sheets or the zipper on my sleeping bag is broke and you got to do the like inchworm to get in every single night. Like the struggle is so real at middle school camp. Every single week at middle school camp, every single year. It'll be like Thursday, and I would always have a student come up to me with panic on their face and say, I'm out of canteen money. Now, the canteen at camp, it's like a snack shack. And so they have all kinds of, if you think about it, it's a candy, they have it there. They've got Cokes, they got Yoo-Hoo's, they got nachos, they got soft serve ice cream, they got ices, they got... Hush puppies, like they got all kinds of random stuff. They got bullpen, like you name it. Like it's it's like a little miniature like quick trip that they can go in and they can buy all this incredible goodness that middle schoolers love. And so without fail, though, every single year a student would come up to me and with panic on their face, I'm out of money for the canteen. I'm like, okay, it's Thursday. I don't think we're gonna starve. Like they're still gonna feed. They feed us three meals a day. Like, you're going to be okay? Like, what's going on? Like, how much money did you start with? That's my favorite. And they'll be like, $35. And I'm like, you spent $35 in three days on candy? You're going to survive. But the struggle is real at middle school camp. And I love middle schoolers. Middle schoolers in the room, I'm not picking on you. You're my favorite, I promise. Middle school camp's the best camp. You're an incredible group. But you make me laugh because the struggle is just so real in your life. But today... I really do want to talk about a struggle that every one of us face, and it's the struggle that if you're a Christian in the room that you deal with, and it's the struggle against sin, and it's the struggle against temptation. You know, I don't, I don't sit here, or I don't stand here and say that I know that every person in the room is a Christian, and if you're not a Christian in the room and you're here, like, thank you for being here. Like, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming to a church today. But if you are a Christian in the room, then I do want to talk to you for a moment today about the struggle that each and every one of us face against temptation and against sin. You know, sometimes in our lives, 
we can give up on our faith journey because there's this one or two sin issues that keep coming up that we don't seem to be able to get past. So today, I want to look at Romans chapter 7 with you. So if you've got your Bible, if you've got a smartphone, anything like that, that you want to follow along, you're going to be in Romans chapter 7 today. If not, all our scriptures are going to be on the screen. You can follow along there. But if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write the struggle is real at the top of your notes page. And then you can also write Romans chapter 7 because we're going to spend the bulk of our time there today. But the struggle is real. And so Paul, who wrote this letter to a to a group of people, to a church in the city of Rome. He writes Romans, and so in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25 is what we're going to look at. And I'm going to read all of these verses, and then after I read them, we're going to kind of dissect them together. So he says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. First off, let me just say this about this verse. I think Paul was really confused when he was writing this. Like, he kind of repeats himself several times, and he's like, I do not do what I want to do, but I don't do what I do want to do, and what I do want to do, I don't do, and he just kind of goes on and on and on. Have you ever been reading a book, and you turn the page like two or three times, and then you have to like stop, and you're like, wait, I have not paid attention for a while on what I'm reading, and you got to like do the like flip back and find the last thing you actually paid attention to? Like, I feel like that's what Paul was doing when he was writing it. Like, he's sitting here trying to write this letter, and there's someone talking to him, and he just kind of keeps writing the same line of, I do not do what I want to do, like, over and over and over again. But I think what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about this internal struggle that he's facing. He's talking about this idea that there's, there's things in our lives that we know we're not supposed to do as followers of Christ, yet somehow we find ourselves in situations where we've done them. And so today, I want to look at three struggles that all Christians So if you're taking notes, you can write three struggles all Christmas face. I will warn you, my three points, they're really long. I apologize, but I don't apologize. I've already told our media team to like leave them up on the screen to give you plenty of time to write them down and to not flip too quick because I want you to be able to take notes if you choose to. But three struggles that all Christians face at one time in their life or another. The first struggle that every one of us will face is the struggle to live up to what I know I'm supposed to be. The struggle to live up to what I know I'm supposed to be. I remember just over four years ago, my wife, Lauren, and I, we stood on a stage, and we, we were getting married, and so it was our wedding day, and so we're standing on a stage. Pastor Jeremy officiated our wedding, and so we're standing up there, and we did the moment where we do the vows, and you know, I promise this, and I promise this, for sickness and in health, for goodness, till death do us part. You know, the, you know the speech, you know the saying. And so I remember saying all of this, 
And, and from that moment forward, I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to act in every moment of every day. And I can remember probably not that long into our wedding, after our wedding, if we're honest, that like we got into our first argument or something, and I was like, well, I've blown it. Like I said all these incredible things standing on a stage in front of our friends and our family, and I haven't lived up to them because I kind of set a bar for myself. Like this is what I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to act, and I haven't fulfilled that. And so I'm a failure. I'm a failure as a man. I'm a failure as a husband. And we set these bars for ourselves for ways that we're supposed to act. And maybe for you, it's not in your marriage. Maybe for you, it's as a boss. Like as a boss, I'm supposed to be this way. Or maybe for you, it's as an employee. Maybe it's as a friend. Maybe it is as a spouse, but maybe it's as a parent. Maybe it's as a sibling or maybe as a child. But we set these kind of hypothetical bars for ourselves that we say that we got to live up to this because this is supposed, this is what I'm supposed to be. And when it comes to our faith journey, we struggle with that. Like we enter into this relationship with Jesus and we say, God, like I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And, and I remember like praying that as a kid and saying like from this moment forward, that means I'm never going to sin again. Like I'm going to be perfect from this moment forward. And that's just not true. Even though we know what we're supposed to live up to, we don't always meet that. Look at what Paul said back in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I absolutely love how Paul starts verse 15 where he says, I do not understand what I do. Lauren and I, we don't have kids yet, but one of the, the things that kind of makes me laugh sometimes in life is when I see a parent like having to discipline or having to get onto their child, and they, and they ask the child, they're like, why did you hit your brother? Or they're like, why did you throw that? And why did you break that thing? Like, I love when the kid comes back with, I don't know. Like, like, like let's be honest. Like, they probably know why they did it. Like, but I love when I'm seeing like, oh, that mom is upset. And she's like, why did you do that? And they go, I don't know. Like, you do know. Like, you're a kid. Like, let's be honest. Like, you really do know. But I love Paul's honesty here where he says, like, I know what I'm supposed to do. But I don't know why I keep doing what I'm not supposed to to do. It's this internal battle that every one of us face, this struggle to live up to what I know I'm supposed to be. Listen to what William Barclay said in his commentary of Romans chapter 7. He said this. He said, this is truly the human situation. We know the good, but we don't do it. We know what's wrong, and we fight against it, and then we do it anyway. We say, I will, and then we don't. We say, I won't, and then we do. We make a promise, and then we break it. We set a goal, and we don't go after it. We say, I'll never do that again, and we do it. We get on our knees and say, oh, God, I'll never do that again. And then the next day, we do it, but we say it again. That is truly the human experience for all of us. We all have this internal struggle that's going on. And let me draw a conclusion from this first struggle. Knowing and doing are two different things. You can know the right thing, and you can still do the wrong thing. That leads me to make this obvious point. Knowledge will never save you. Knowledge alone cannot and will not save us. There must be something else, something deeper working within us. And that leads me to this conclusion of point number one. Even if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not as good as you think you are. I hate to burst your bubble. You're not as good as you think you are. And you're probably a little worse than you'd like to admit. That's the first struggle, the struggle to live up to what you know you're supposed to be. 
That's struggle number one. The second struggle that everyone that is a Christian will face at some time in their life is the struggle dealing with repeated personal failures. The second struggle is the struggle dealing with repeated personal failures. I don't know about you, but in my life, I do not like to fail. Worse than failing is failing at the same thing multiple times. It's why I have a serious love-hate relationship with the game of golf. Like, I love golf until I'm on the golf course. Like, I love the theory of golf because in my head, I'm amazing. And so, but then I get out on the golf course, and I'm standing there, and I'm a lefty, so I stand on the wrong side of the ball than most of you. And so I'm standing there, and I got my driver in my hand, and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. I'm on the tee box. I go back. I hit it, and it's perfect, and it's straight, and it's pure, and it's long, and I even get a good bounce, and it goes even further, and I'm like, I'm thinking Tiger Woods. Like, that's that's what's what's up. up. And so I finish that whole out. I'm I'm confident. I go to the next tee box, and I'm like, God, just please let me do the same thing. Like, I evidently, I know how to do it because I just did it. And I stand there. I go back, and you know where this is going. I hit it, and it goes about 40 yards that way and about 160 yards that way. And I'm like, I hate this game. And it's terrible, but I have, like, this love because I want to be good. I so bad. I so badly want to be good. Yet I fail. And I repeatedly fail. And I fail again, and I fail again. This is what Michael Jordan said once about his failure. Michael Jordan, if you don't know, he's an incredible basketball player. He played for a long time for the Chicago Bulls. He said, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I've been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. We're all going to struggle with failure. We're all going to struggle with repeated personal failure. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. He said, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Look at what he said there in verse 19. He said, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. It's the struggle that each and every one of us face. It's the prayer for the same mistakes that we've prayed hundreds of times, begging God and pleading with God. God, if you would just please help me get past this struggle, I promise this. It's hard for us as believers to come to grips with what Paul is saying here. We try to come up with spiritual formulas that can get us out of Romans chapter 7. Because let's be honest for a minute. Romans chapter 7 is not a fun chapter to read. Like, I don't like reading Romans chapter 7. Because it's sitting there talking about, it's Paul writing about himself. But let's be honest, it's me. And it's me sitting there reading about myself saying, I don't know why I do what I do. But what I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And I do what I'm not supposed to do. And I continually fail. And I'm going to mess up again. And I'm going to screw this up multiple times. And I don't like reading about that. You know, if you turn the page to Romans chapter 8. And I encourage you this week, do the, do the soap guide for Romans chapter 8. But Romans chapter 8 talks about, like, when the Holy Spirit lives in us, it allows us through Jesus Christ to be conquerors. Like, I want to be a conqueror, right? Like, don't you want to be able to conquer things? Like, we all want that. And so it's so easy for us to say, like, I don't want to read Romans 7, and I'm just going to skip to chapter 8. Like, I love doing that. Like, let me just look at the positive stuff. Let me just look at where I can be a conqueror. But we have to look at Romans chapter 7, and we can't look past it. You've got to come to grips with repeated personal failures. The first step in healing is to admit that you're sick. 
Healthy people don't go to the doctor. Only sick people do. The people who are made better by the power of God are the people who are not ashamed to admit the weaknesses and failures and the struggles that they are undergoing in their own personal lives. That's the second struggle. The struggle to come to grips with repeated personal failures. So we've got number one down. We've got number two down. The third struggle that we're going to face is the struggle admitting the battle that takes place within me. Number three is the struggle admitting the battle take, there's a battle taking place within me. In my almost seven plus years of ministry experience, I've heard time and time again that one of the reasons that people no longer go to church is because the church is full of hypocrites, full of people that come in and pretend that their lives are perfect and they have no problems and that they judge others that do have problems. But can we all just be honest for a minute? Can we all just be honest and say like, I got problems. I'm not perfect. I don't want to be perfect. I don't want to claim I'm perfect. Like, I got, I got issues. I mess up. I make mistakes. I got sin in my life that I deal with. Like, none of us are perfect. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what? You're in all. You're included in that. Whether you want to be or not, like, you're included in the all. We just have to admit it. If you're taking notes today, I'd love for you to just write in your notebook, like just write in your journal, like I admit I'm an all. Like I admit I make mistakes. I admit I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Like I think it's good for us to admit this. If we go back to what Paul said in Romans chapter seven, verse 21 through 24, he says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul says here, what each and every one of us truly deal with. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you truly do want to do good. Like it's in you. Like if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, like you want to do what's right. You want to do good. But there's this internal battle that's going on, that's taking place inside of each and every one of us. And preparing for today's message, I did a little bit of research. In dealing with addiction, there's a program called AA. And AA has a 12-step process to help people that deal with certain addictions to move past and to get through those addictions. And in doing some research and reading about like what that program would look like for people, For most people, not all people, but for most people that go through AA, the most difficult step of all, of all 12 steps, is step number one. And what step number one is, is that you have to admit that you have a problem. That's the most difficult step, because the reality is we live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in a society that tells us that we can't have problems. And if we have problems, we got to be able to just internalize them, we got to be able to just deal with them on our own, because we have to be able to walk out into public and look like we always have our stuff together. Like, that's what society tells us. That's what the culture around us tells us, is that we always have to be put together. But what if the church was different? What if the church was a safe place to admit that there are internal battles going on inside each and every one of us that we're facing? You know, the reality is, is if Paul struggled, which here in Romans chapter 7, he talks about that he does struggle, it's going to happen to you and I too. If he struggled, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. You know the real battles are not the ones on the outside. The real battles are the ones on the inside, the ones that nobody else ever sees. It's the struggle that goes on in your mind and your heart between the pull of the flesh and the pull of the Holy Spirit. 
there's three struggles that as Christians we're going to face. The first struggle is the struggle to live up to what I know I'm supposed to be. The second struggle is the struggle dealing with repeated personal failures. And the third struggle is the struggle admitting that the battle is taking place within me. Those are three struggles. So what are we going to do with those? Like as Christians, like how do we handle? How do we deal with? How do we get past? How do we move on? How do we deal with these constant battles that we're going to face? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I want to look at really quickly, and if you're writing notes, I apologize. But again, I kind of don't apologize. Like I'm wearing your hand out today. So I have three quick points, and I promise they're shorter this time, of how we as Christians, three things that can help us with our struggles. And so the first thing that can help us with our struggle, if you're a Christian in the room, the three things that can help us with our struggle, the first is that we have to be honest. The first thing that we have to do with our struggle is that we have to be honest and admit that we have a struggle. We have to be honest and acknowledge that the struggle is real. Romans chapter 7, in the very first part of verse 24, it says, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Apart from Jesus and apart from the Holy Spirit, what a wretched man I am. You've heard it said before, maybe. You've heard the statement of, you know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But what if we added a statement to the end of that? What if the statement was, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first? Because the reality is, is the reason that many of us never grow as Christians is because we hear the truth intellectually, but we never let it get close enough to us to hurt us. It comes in. But we put up the deflector shields and it bounces harmlessly away. We get good at deflecting the truth because the truth often hurts. The truth never really changes us because we won't let it get close enough to us to hurt us. Honesty is the first step in admitting your true condition. When was the last time that you were honest with someone about where your soul really was? Let me take that a step further. When was the last time that you were honest with God? When was the last time you just had a real, genuine, honest conversation with God? Where you said, God, this is where I'm at. This is the condition of my heart. This is where I'm bitter. This is where I'm upset. This is where I'm angry. This is where I'm struggling. This is the sin issues that are in my life. This is what's going on. When was the last time you were honest with God? When was the last time you told God that without him, God, I'm just a wretched man? When was the last time you just said, like, God, without you, I'm just a wretched woman? When was the last time that you were honest with God? So the first thing we have to do that can help us with our struggle is we got to be honest. The second thing is we must be humble. The difference between honesty and humility is that honesty says I am a wretched man, and humility says I cannot save myself. As far as I know, there are only three things that you can do with sin. Number one, you can deny it. Many people do that. Number two, you can try to deal with it on your own. That doesn't work. Or number three, you can admit it and turn it to God in Jesus Christ, and there and only there you can find forgiveness. But we got to be humble. We have to be honest, and we have to admit that we, we're, we make mistakes. We have to admit that we need God. We have to be honest with God. But then we have to humble ourselves before the Father and come to him and say, God, here's where I'm at. Here's what's going on. But it takes humility. Edie Hulse said this of humility. He said, humility is a strange thing. The minute you think you've got it, that's when you've actually lost it. Humility is a strange thing. The minute you think you've got it, you've actually lost it. We must be humble. We must say, God, I got to be honest. 
And for us to truly, genuinely be honest, we must humble ourselves before the Father. So we've got to be honest. We've got to be humble. And the third and final thing that we can do that will help us is we must be completely reliant on Christ. So many times in our lives, we can try to be self-reliant or we can try to be self-dependent. I don't know about you, but when I look at the times in my life that I tried to do it on my own or I've tried to make it by myself, those are the moments that I fall the hardest where I fail the most. What would life look, how would life look different if I was completely reliant on Christ and not just partially? What if every aspect of my life I relied on Christ and not just the pieces that I trust him with, but I hold on to the others? What if we were completely relying on Christ? Look at what Paul said. The last verse we'll look at in Romans chapter seven. Romans seven, verse 25, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, church, that's the answer to everything he just said about his struggles with sin. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Who's going to discover, or we're going to discover, that there's a provision for victory, that there's a provision for walking in the Spirit, that there's a provision to help you win with the struggle with sin. And it's all right there. Just remember this. It's not a formula. It's a person. It's not something on the outside. It's a moment-by-moment dependence on Jesus Christ and realizing that his power truly is enough to rescue you. You don't have to be defeated, although sometimes you will be. You don't have to stay stuck in the muck and mire, although that's my where you find yourself today. Through complete dependence on Jesus Christ, there is the possibility for significant victory in your life. Romans 7, it's not the whole story, but it's the place where you gotta begin. It's the place where you've gotta start your journey with God. You've gotta be able to admit that there's this internal battle going on. God wants us to go through Romans chapter 7. The struggles that you're undergoing in your life right now doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Does the fact that you struggle make you a failure? No. No, it doesn't. Does it make you a bad person? No. Does it make you a loser? No. Does it make you a substandard Christian? Nope. You know what it makes you? You know what going through Romans chapter 7, you know what it makes you? makes you an excellent candidate for the grace of God. See, God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for me and for you and for your neighbor and for your friend, for the people sitting on the same row as you, for the people on the other side of the room as you, for the people in the first service, people in the middle service. As he said, and he knows that we're going to deal with sin. We're gonna have to go through Romans chapter seven. In the moments where we're sitting there and we say, I don't know why I do this, and I I know what I'm supposed to do, and I do what I'm not supposed to do, those are the moments we say, yes, my grace is sufficient. Yes, I know you're dealing with that, but my grace is sufficient. Yes, I know you're struggling with this sin, but my grace is sufficient. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're sitting in the room today and you would say, Pastor Trevor, you know, I, I've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. I've never admitted that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've never admitted that I want Him to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. There's no better day than today to make that decision. 
And so if you're sitting in the room today and you've never entered into a relationship and you want a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I just want you to lift your hand and then you can put it right back down. Thank you so much. The second thing is if you're sitting in the room and you're anything like me at different parts of my life and at different moments and at different seasons, sometimes we can find ourselves living in this self-afflicted guilt. Not a God conviction, not a Holy Spirit-like compression on our heart, but the self-inflicted, I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy enough guilt that we say, I've messed up too far for God to love me. I make too many mistakes for God's grace to be sufficient for me. I'm too far into the muck and mire for God's grace to reach there. I'm too low in the valley for God's grace to reach there. And if that's you today, I just want you to lift your hand and you can put it right back down. Here's the first thing I want you to know. You're not alone. In every service, we've had so many hands. You're not the only person that feels that way. And the enemy would try to convince you. And he would try to isolate you to make you feel like you're the only person that deals with that. You're not alone. Every single one of us that are followers of Jesus have the struggles of saying, I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't know why I don't do what I'm supposed to do. You're not alone. The second thing I want you to know is that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is there. Just lean into him. Let his overwhelming love just press onto your heart. He loves you more than you will ever be able to fathom. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, we thank you. God, I thank you for the people that are in the room that say today is the day that I don't leave this room and I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, today is the day that I need you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. God, Scripture tells us that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God, it says that all of heaven celebrates. And so, God, I thank you that if the one chooses today, even if they didn't raise their hand, God, that, that God, they can make that decision and they can enter into that relationship with you today. God, I pray for the people in the room, whether they lifted their hand or not, whether they feel it today or they feel it in the future. God, I pray for the people that feel isolated that feel that their sin is too far, that they've made too many mistakes, that they've messed up too big. God, I pray that we just know that your grace is sufficient. That God, even though Romans chapter 7 is a difficult chapter, even though Romans chapter 7 is a chapter that sometimes we want to just rip out of our Bible and say, that doesn't apply to me. God, thank you for Romans chapter 7. Thank you for allowing us to read things that say, I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only one who deals with this. God, let us live in your grace. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 